1 Timothy chapter 4, and we'll read verses 11 through 16. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. Take your truth, plant it deep in us. Shape and fashion us in your likeness. Cause our faith to rise, cause our eyes to see. Words of power that can never fail. Let their truth prevail over unbelief. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, the last time that I heard a sermon in person on this particular passage was 17 years ago. It was on a Sunday evening in January of 2006 at Oakdale Evangelical Free Church, rural Cherokee County, Iowa. And I listened to the sermon while sitting next to my wife, Greta. And we were both able to listen to every word of the sermon intently because that was BK. That was before kids. And I I just completed my degree at the North American Baptist Seminary in Sioux Falls just a few weeks prior to that. And Oakdale had called me to be their pastor. And we were still unpacking boxes in the parsonage when our families came to be with us for that weekend to be a part of my installation service. And my friend and mentor, Pastor Randy Anderson, from the Free Church in Sioux Falls was there to preach my installation service. And he chose this very text to challenge both me and the congregation so that we would be sure to know both the priorities and the practices of a faithful pastoral ministry. And what I remember most was how Pastor Randy emphasized verse 16. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. I remember him emphasizing the literal Greek of the beginning of that verse. Pay close attention to the life and the teaching. Pay close attention to the life and the teaching. And how that would directly relate to the salvation of both myself and those within the church who would be hearing my teaching and preaching each week. I remember getting uncomfortable. I thought maybe he was emphasizing that point a little too much. But he was just doing the work of a faithful pastor. As he often told me, a preacher's job is to re-say what God has said. Re-say what God 
has said. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. Well, I was 31 years old then, and I had no idea what I had just gotten myself into. The reality is there are many young men each year in similar situations in local churches all over the world called by those churches to serve as their pastors, called to preach and teach the Word of God to their respective churches week by week, month by month, year by year. Some have grown up in very strong, faithful churches. Others uh, have had almost no experience of being in a healthy church before. Some have had wonderful examples of faithful pastors that they had, uh, they've been discipled by, that they've, that they've learned from. Others have had rather poor examples or no examples at all. So how are they to know what they are supposed to do in the ministry? What the priorities are. The priorities that they must attend to in order to pastor well. And what about the churches? When, when churches are in need of calling a new pastor, what should they look for? in a good pastoral candidate. Our church is clear on what a pastor is supposed to be doing. I know that one of the things that churches often do when they are at the very beginning of the pastoral search process is to have their members uh, of, their, of their congregation, even those who maybe aren't members, fill out a survey on the type of pastor that they would like to have uh, come to their church. Uh, then they gather up all the surveys and, 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 and they compile the responses uh, together and they use that list of characteristics, and it's usually a very long list of characteristics, to help to guide them in their pastoral search. We want a pastor that our congregation wants. But what are the priorities of what a pastor should be like and what he must do? Well, we don't have to wonder what the Apostle Paul would have said about that, how he would have answered such a survey if he was given one. We have his answer right here in our text this morning. And of course, since he is an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, as it says in, in verse 1 of chapter 1, we know that this is also how the Lord Jesus would answer the question of what are the priorities of pastoral ministry. And the two main priorities are Again, what's found there in verse 16, the pastor's life and doctrine. The pastor's life and his teaching. How he lives and what he teaches and preaches. Those are the priorities. And everything else is secondary to that. So our main theme from this passage is that churches need pastors whose lives and teaching are persistently faithful to the Bible. Churches need pastors whose lives and teaching are persistently faithful to the Bible. So here in this paragraph, the Apostle Paul is, is helping Timothy, uh, the pastor that was called by God to serve this local church here in Ephesus, to, to know just what his priorities in his ministry must be. At the same time, the Apostle is helping the church that Timothy is pastoring. Uh, Timothy has been called to serve. He's helping them to also know just what they should expect ought to be the priorities for Timothy as their pastor. 
here for us in uh, 21st century um, America. Uh, studying this passage may help us to, to straighten out just what our expectations ought to be for ministers. Uh, hopefully, by the end of the message, we will all know just what we ought to write on those surveys of what we'd like to see in our next pastor the next time we are asked to fill one out uh, during a pastoral search. So, uh, I've summarized what, what Paul encouraged Timothy to focus on in this passage under, under four headings. Uh, these are the priorities for the pastor. Number one, pursue godliness, there, verses 11 and 12. Number two, prioritize the Bible, in, in 13 and 14. Number three, work hard at it, in verse 15. And number four, remember what's at stake, in verse 16. Remember what's at stake. So first, pursue godliness in verses 11 and 12. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Just like in verse 6, Paul reiterates to Timothy that he is to command and teach these things. That is, this, this letter that he's writing, the things he's teaching in this letter, command and teach these things, Timothy is to use this letter that Paul has written to him as teaching material for the church. And this reveals for us, once again, the significance of an apostle. He's speaking for the Lord Jesus here in this letter. His words, his commands, and his teaching are to be received as the Lord's words, commands, and teaching. That is still how we are to receive them today. And Paul then lets us know a little bit more about Timothy at the very beginning of verse 12. He says, let no one despise you for your youth. Timothy must have been a younger man. At least young enough that within the congregation uh, that he's serving in there in in Ephesus, there was a significant number of those who were older than he was. Back in the first century Roman Empire, age was honored and respected, while youth and inexperience were looked down upon. My, how times have changed, right? Back then, those who were younger tried to act like they were older. Now in our society, it's just the opposite. People who are older spend a lot of money to try to make themselves look younger, and they do their best to act younger. But when it comes to those who are in positions of authority, still in our culture, it's still very difficult for those who are older to listen to and take seriously those who are younger. Especially if they're maybe they're the age of their kids or, or even younger than that. Back in late 2005, when I visited the Oakdale Free Church for my candidating weekend, I met with a lot of different people in the church and was asked many questions that weekend, but one question from one member was unforgettable to me, it was when I was standing up uh, in front of, of the whole congregation after uh, we had had a, a potluck meal. Um, I, had, I had preached in the service, and then we had this potluck meal for the whole congregation. And now it's kind of the last chance for this, this congregation to ask me questions before they hold their congregational meeting and vote on whether or not to call me as their next pastor. Now, at that time... Um, I had not served as a preaching pastor of, of, of a congregation before. My experience had been limited to serving three different churches, primarily within youth ministry. And so 
Henry, one of the older members of the congregation, one who, who seemed to always wear a frown on his face. Henry hadn't said a word to me the whole weekend prior to this, and he spoke up from the very back of the room and uh, spoke um, in that low, gruff voice that he had. He said, you've had a lot of experience as a youth pastor. What experience have you had as a pastor for us old folks? And let me tell you, it was a good question. At that time, over 80% of the congregation was older than me. All the general board members were older than I was. All the deacons and deaconesses were older than I was. I was the age of, of most of the leaders' kids. Even their youth pastor was older than me. At that time, Henry was 81, and I was 31. He was 50 years older than I was, and was wondering, like most of the people in that room, why in the world should we call this very young man to serve as our pastor? So how does a young, inexperienced pastor earn the respect of older church members? Especially so that they will take him seriously when he must, as it says in verse 11, command and teach these things. We are shown here that the way to establish respect is, is not just by, by talking louder or, or flashing your credentials or sharing with them all of your letters of recommendation. No, there's only one way to earn the respect of older members within the church, and that is by setting a faithful example for them in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And so Paul begins with speech here, probably because a young man cannot get himself into trouble more quickly than by what he says and how he says it. If a pastor is to get himself into trouble, it's usually with his mouth. A young minister should spend a lot of time considering the wisdom of the Proverbs and praying for help from the Lord to put them into practice in his life. Like Proverbs 15, 28, the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. And Proverbs 13, 3, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. I think you could say preserves his ministry. So we display what is really in our hearts through what we say and, and how we live, through word and deed. That's what Paul is getting at with the rest of verse 12. The church will respect and willingly listen to the preaching and teaching of a young minister if they know that their pastor truly knows and fears God. They will observe by the way a young man speaks, by the way he lives, whether or not he loves the Lord and loves them, whether or not he truly believes the gospel. The one area that will be the most difficult to discern is the area of purity. This is where the pastor himself must take steps to guard his own heart from immorality. Every young man must take God's word seriously when it says in Numbers 32, 23, be sure of this, that your sin will find you out. Nothing is more disastrous for a church than the devastation brought on by a pastor who falls into sexual immorality because he has no fear of God. 
So churches and pastors must make pursuing godliness a priority in their pastors. Secondly, a pastor must also prioritize the Bible. Must prioritize the Bible, verses 13 and 14. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. So Paul now comes to what was to be at the center of Timothy's ministry and the center of the ministry of all local church pastors. Until I come, devote yourself, that is, give attention, give your attention to, focus on, give heed to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to preaching. Each of these three practices is centered on the Word of God, the Scriptures, within the public gathering of the church. The scriptures are to be read. They are to be preached. And they are to be taught before the gathered church. Timothy is to make sure that he is preparing himself for that task each week. He is to be devoted to that. He is to focus his attention and his time on the ministry of the word. And we're given a window here to see what a worship gathering would have been like in the very early days of the church. At the very center of it, again, was the Word of God. It was to be read out loud before the whole congregation. This was the practice of the Jewish synagogue of the first century. We see it uh, described when Jesus went to the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth in Luke chapter 4, where he stood up there to read the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and then sat down and taught the gathered crowd there from that very passage he read, in Isaiah. Then in the book of Acts, Acts 13, while Paul and Barnabas were on their first missionary journey, uh, they always first went to the synagogue of the city that they visited. And we are told in chapter 13, verse 15, that they, in that synagogue, were reading from the law and the prophets. And then the leaders of the synagogue, after the readings, asked Paul and Barnabas to share a word of encouragement for the people. And they use the same word there as Paul uses here in verse 13 for exhortation. So the early churches followed this very practice of reading from the Old Testament scriptures. But then they also read from the writings of the apostles, as Paul commands uh, them to do uh, uh, in 1 Timothy 5.27 to read his letter, and Colossians 4.16 to read his letter there as well. So, so the pastor is to make sure the scriptures are read in the service and he is to give a word of encouragement or exhortation from the passage and also teach the truth of the scriptures as well. Uh, we have a writing from uh, the second century, early second century, written by uh, Justin Martyr. And it was described, uh, he, he described there in that letter what a Christian worship service was like in those days, in the very early days of the church, he writes this, On the day called Sunday, all who live in cities or in the country gather together to one place, and the memoirs of the apostles, that'd be the writings of the apostles, the New, New, New Testament, or the writings of the prophets, that'd be, of course, the Old Testament scriptures, they are read as long as time permits. Then, when the reader has ceased, the president... This would be the word they use for the pastor. The president verbally instructs and exhorts to the imitation of these good things. So that, that sounds a lot like what we are still doing today. 
And history shows us that the work of the gospel flourishes wherever the Bible is read and proclaimed as the word of God. There are no better words that can be uttered in a worship service than the words of God. Timothy must have had a spiritual gift for preaching and teaching, for Paul tells him there in verse 14, to do not neglect the gift you have. He tells him that immediately after telling him to focus on the ministry of the word. It seems that when Timothy was ordained by Paul and the other elders, probably at the church where he was now serving there in Ephesus, they, they laid their hands on him, as still happens today in a, in a Christian worship service, or a Christian uh, uh, ordination service, and prayed for him to have this gift to handle the scriptures well in preaching and teaching. And they had recognized, most likely, the gift in him already and affirmed it then at this ordination service. But it was a gift that Timothy may lose if he did not put it into practice. Paul is saying here, use this gift, Timothy. Use it or lose it. Don't neglect it. Preach the word in season and out of season, as he says in 2 Timothy. This is a central work of a pastor. The Bible must have priority in the life of the church. And as verse 15 then tells us, the pastor must also work hard at it. Look at verse 15. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. I do like the ESV translation here of how diligent the pastor is called to be at studying preparing and preaching the word of God. Practice these things, it says, immerse yourself in them. The original Greek is, is, is literally, be in them, be in them. If the scriptures were an ocean, pastors are not just to, to sit on the beach and, and observe them from the very edge. They, they, they're not even just to, just to ride in a boat and skim along you know, the very surface of it. They are to go scuba diving and immerse themselves in the ocean of the scriptures. As the King James Version of that verse says, meditate upon these things, give thyself wholly to them. No matter what you may think, good pastors do not work one day out of the week. <laughs> pastors are not just to, to throw something together on Saturday night to preach on Sunday mornings. Uh, congregations deserve better than just the Saturday night special. Good pastors will be diligent in their study and preparation. As my pastor, uh, my pastoral mentor Randy Anderson told me um, while I was still in seminary seeking to complete my, my Master of Divinity degree, that's what it's called, uh, that's what the, the Master degree is called for, for those training for pastoral ministry, Master of Divinity, Divinity. He would say, the only way to know God rightly is to know his word. Make sure you remember what you are to be a master of. The young pastor is to work at becoming a master of the word of God so that all may see your progress, that all may benefit from your progress. This gets, this gets back to the, to the comparison that the Apostle Paul was making with, with physical training back in verses eight, uh, 7 and 8 from last week. I went to a lot of basketball camps when I was in junior high and high school, and I often heard from the coaches there at those camps uh, trying to encourage us 
to, to practice every day, they would say, you're either going to get better or worse. You're not going to stay the same. You will not stay the same. If you don't do anything from now until the season, you'll either get better if you practice, or if you don't practice, you'll get worse. And that is true of Bible teaching and preaching as well. When it comes to the ministry of the Word, practice makes perfect. We must be in them. My favorite professor in seminary was, was Dr. Paul Rainbow. Small in stature, very quiet, very bookish, looked the part of a man who spent most of his life in the library. But he helped to instill in me and my classmates a passion for studying the Word of God. That's what he wrote. Uh, here, here's what he wrote once regarding his role in the seminary as a, as a professor of New Testament and the pastor's role in the church. He, he, he wrote this, Because the Bible is God's word written, my teaching in the field of New Testament aims both to convince our ministerial students that Scripture is the deposit of which they are stewards, comprising the truths which it is the supreme task of the Christian ministry to deliver and also to enhance the accuracy and authority with which they will be able to break forth its inexhaustible treasures to their congregations. When a pastor works hard in studying the Bible, both he and his congregation will be richly rewarded. Diligent study of the word must be a pastoral priority. And finally, pastors and churches must remember what's at stake. You must remember what's at stake. Verse 16, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. So here are the, the, the two main things that a good pastor must pay special attention to. He must take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. He must be sure to keep his life, his heart, and his behavior in the narrow way and make sure he is teaching what is faithful to what God's word actually says. This will save him and the people he has been called to serve. Now, what is Paul getting at here? I mean, once again, he seems to be saying something that doesn't match up with his own doctrine of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So what did Paul mean here by he will save him both yourself and your hearers? Again, let, 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 let's be clear. One of the purposes of this letter that Paul's writing was to make sure Timothy and the church that he was leading would make sure not to teach any different doctrine than the, 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 the true gospel of Jesus Christ. That's, that's his goal. And he also emphasized the goal of Christian ministry was that for all kinds of people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's in verse 4 of chapter 2. And that there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. That's in verse 5 of chapter 2. So in this very letter, Paul has made it clear there is no other way for sinners to be saved from God's judgment for their sins than through that one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. They must have faith. They must be looking to him, to Jesus Christ, for salvation. 
And then in chapter 4, we have the apostle emphasizing the importance of the faithful ministry of the word within a local church. Why is that? Well, because how else are people going to hear about Jesus Christ and their need to be saved through him, but through the faithful reading and preaching and teaching of the Bible? Paul writes in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Saving faith will come when we hear the word of Christ. The way that God has ordained his people thus to come to faith as well as to grow and preserve that faith is through hearing the word of Christ through the regular preaching and teaching of faithful ministers. As long as pastors are practicing these things and immersing themselves in them, paying special attention to their lives and what they are teaching, they will keep themselves in the faith and help their people to persevere in the faith as well. It will be a means of grace to both them and their congregations. I'm reminded of of this this incredible story uh, in the revivals of the the, uh, 18th century century in England, where uh, a minister of the gospel, who, who in those days, many, many ministers in the church of England were not Christians. They, they had been given their, their jobs, and it was an easy job, uh, they thought, back then. And here he is, during this time of revival, where, where many were, were trusting in the gospel of Jesus Christ through the preaching of Whitfield and, and Wesley, and there are many in the congregation who had heard the preaching of Whitfield and Wesley and had been converted. And here's their pastor reading the, the, the gospel, and all of a sudden he begins to preach in such a way that the, that the members of the congregation go, the parson's been converted. As he's reading the scriptures, the word of God converts his heart to believe the gospel. And he became an evangelical minister after that. That's the way it happens. Save both yourself and your hearers. Verse 16 highlights the incredible good that can come to a church when you have a faithful pastor. And yet it also implies the tragic disaster that a church may experience when they have a poor, unfaithful pastor who doesn't take seriously this call to pay careful attention to his own life and the teaching that he gives to the congregation. For Henry, back at Oakdale, and many of the other older members of the congregation that I was called to serve as a 31-year-old seminary graduate, I was the last pastor that they had before the number of their days on earth came to an end. That may be the case for several of you in here as well. Using the imagery of uh, Pilgrim's Progress, I was given the privilege of leading them down the last steps of their path on the end of their journey in this world to the very edge of the River Jordan so they could cross over to the other side and into the celestial city, into heaven. Whether or not I had experience relating to older folks really wasn't the key issue. Personality, experience, the ability to carry a conversation, they may be important for pastors to have, but it's never the key issue. They aren't among the top priorities. 
what was the key issue for them was whether or not I would be preaching to them the truth of the gospel of salvation in their last years before they died. What really matters is whether or not the pastor understands that that is the eternal salvation of souls is what is at stake in the ministry. In a world and society that is deluded and deceptive as ours is, churches need pastors whose lives and teaching are persistently faithful to the Bible because their eternal souls and the souls of their children are at stake. Will their pastor tell them the truth? Will he point them to Jesus? Or will he lead them away in some other direction? So as a church body, make sure you are clear about the biblical priorities of pastoral ministry for any man that you call to stand behind this pulpit and preach the word of God. Let's pray. Oh Lord, help us as a church, and please help me as their pastor to prioritize the word of God, that by hearing your word preached from this pulpit week by week, we would be saved. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen.